0: It's called Decisions, Decisions, How to Make the Best Choices, or Making the Best Choices Ever, and what we've been talking about is this idea that God really cares about your decisions, like every single one of them. He cares about how you spend your time. He cares about how you spend your money. He cares about the relationships you enter into and the relationships you step out of. He cares about uh, all the different ways, the invitations that you accept, the invitations you don't accept, uh, all these different things. God cares about your choices. And... If God cares about your choices, he might have something to say about your choices. And uh, we've found, uh, at least I've found in my life, that the more I listen to my Heavenly Father, the more I listen to God, the better choices I make, and more importantly, the less regret I have in the long term. And so what we've been talking about is this idea that culture every culture has a set of pressures and again this is neither good nor bad it's just the way culture is that if you just go with the flow if you make decisions like everyone else if you make choices like everyone else you will be molded you will be conformed to the image that that culture the values and the uh, decision making processes that that culture makes you will be conformed into that image And if you want to be, fine. It's easy. Just do what everyone else is doing and you will be conformed into the image of the culture you're in. So if you are in a culture, a a, a business culture, where they value aggressive, hard driving, move up. You know, maybe you're in a law firm or whatever and you're going like that. Maybe you're in a a warehouse and and that particular culture is uh, a a certain way. You're going to be there. If you're in school, some different schools have different cultures. And if you just kind of lift up your feet and let the current of culture carry you, uh, you you'll end up looking like that. And that, that may or may not be fine. If that's what you want, then just relax and go with it and that's who you'll be. But for a lot of people and a lot of followers of Jesus, there are elements of culture that we don't like and we don't want to be a part of um, for various reasons. And so God uses a, a different type of language, not being conformed to the culture, the pressures of culture, but to be transformed, to be actually set free, to be alive, to, 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 to take the different gifts that he's given you and the way he's created you and the intellect and all those different things to be able to, be, to take you and create you into the image, to transform you into the image of Jesus Christ. And for most of us who uh, attend church and are followers of Jesus, this is what we want because we've seen oftentimes in our life the places where we allowed ourselves to be conformed are places of regret and the places where we've allowed ourselves to be transformed are places of freedom and release, okay? And so this is what this whole series is about. It's about the idea that God, in the midst of culture wanting to conform us and God trying to transform us, we find ourselves in the middle with decisions to make. And what do we do about making those decisions? And so the way we've been putting it is in this question that we ask ourselves every week and uh, uh, that we're asking ourselves this morning, considering our history Our current reality and our future identity, what's the wise thing to do? That's the question we ask ourselves when we make these decisions. Considering my history, what happened last time I was in this situation? What happened last time I went into that meeting? What happened last time my boss and I had a conversation? What happened last time I went from one relationship right into another one? What happened? Considering my history, considering my current reality, our current reality changes. You just had a baby, So how is that going to change your decision making? Maybe you just bought a house and that's your current reality and now you can't do the things you were going to do before or what have you. You just entered a new relationship. Um, How does that affect your current reality? So considering my history, who I was, my current reality, who I am, and my future identity, who I want to be, and we've been joking that we all want to be somebody better than we currently are, or else what's the, what's the use, right? You know, we all think of ourselves, we want to be smarter, wealthier, thinner, whatever. Um, am I going to make decisions now that rob me of that in the future? Uh, we all want to be closer to God. Am I going to make a decision now that robs me from that? So in light of my history, my current reality, my future my identity, what's the wise thing to do? And what we've been asking, our, what we've been uh, saying is that, um, that the, what is the wise thing to do kind of strips away all the ways we find loopholes. We're not asking ourselves, is it legal? We're not asking ourselves, uh, is it in the Bible? We're not asking ourselves, what's the farthest I can come to right to the edge? What's the farthest? How far is too far? Like right, what's right at the edge? We ask ourselves, what's the wise thing to do? And it kind of unmasks all those different ways we try to maneuver. Next week, we're going to be talking about coming right up to the edge, and it's going to be a fun week, and I, I hope you guys make it back for that. It's going to be really great. The stage, <clears throat> stage will look a little different, and, and you'll all get a gift at the end um, that is not very valuable. But anyway... Um, <laughs> It's a gift nonetheless, so come on, be thankful. Anyway, uh, and so, and so that's, that's where we are. We've been asking ourselves, in light of our, in considering our history, consider our our, our, our uh, current reality and considering our future identity, what's the YC I see and do? Now, what we're going to talk about this morning is the idea that um, many times our worst decisions came when there was high emotion, <laughs> Okay, um, if you've ever been in an argument with somebody and um and your emotions are rising, that is not the time to make a decision and we We all know this within ourselves um, um, sometimes if you if you just came out of a relationship and you just have all that baggage and emotion and stuff you're dealing with, and then you see that person and you're like, Wow, this is the person- you know That's not the time, typically, to make that decision to enter into a new relationship. And you can go down the line and you can probably look in your life and see, you know, the bad decision you made. You could probably look at the time you made that decision. You were scared of being alone. You were scared of whatever. There was emotion involved in it. Now, one of the biggest emotions or one of the things that that can cripple us is the idea of anxiety. the The idea of worry. And what happens with worry and what happens with anxiety is that that the thoughts and everything about what if, or if I don't, it won't, or whatever the the thing is, gets us into a place where we start making really poor decisions. And it was my hope that if we can tackle anxiety this morning, we can get some principles where we can also tackle um, other things like grief and things like that, where we're not um, letting our emotions make our decisions for us. Now, when I decided I was going to talk about anxiety, I I put on my Facebook um, a little sermon poll that uh, actually about 70 people did. So I don't know for all you statisticians or scientists out there, I don't know if that's a good control group or whatever you call it. But um, what I did is I took all those... Um, uh, all the ones that were actual answers, except for those of you who try to be witty, which I just discarded completely. Um, uh, no, I took all of them and I put them into categories and I made this chart to show what is it that, um, and, and essentially it's basically our church. This is, this is what I call the chart of dysfunction within our church. And so, um, no, it's not. It's people all over the country, but, um, but here it is. This is what makes us anxious just in the 70 people that, that were on my uh, Facebook page. And it was interesting because I would have thought finances, fi- finances was only 5% of the people. I thought that would be a little higher, which maybe tells you something about myself. I don't know. Um, Uh, health was eight percent i think that's about right but but the the two big ones 13 percent was somebody had a spiritual answer because i think because i'm a pastor they thought they had to say the bible or jesus or something so i lumped them into spiritual things and and that's good that's fine but it didn't help me with my chart um so next time just answer the question and don't (laughs) don't talk about jesus okay um so, so the, the two big things, 75% is others. And this wasn't just others like I'm, I, I'm worried about my dad's health. This was I'm worried about what my dad thinks. I'm, I'm worried about uh, pleasing or fear of failure or all of these types of things. It was either the behaviors or the thoughts of others. You were worried about that. The way that would manifest itself is you're thinking about going to the family reunion or whatever, and you're just nervous all week long because you're thinking about meeting that particular relative or what have you. That's, that's 44% had to do with others, what either they're thinking or doing. 31% was the future, something about the future. Now, I, I tried to keep the... The finances and future oftentimes go hand in hand. I'm, I'm worried about retirement or whatever. So I tried to disperse it. I am not, not. I know it's shocking, but I'm not a scientist. Um, and so I did the best I could. But 75%, the future and others. Listen, so here's, here's, here's the thing, and this is what we're going to explore this morning. You cannot control the future, and you cannot control others. I cannot control what somebody thinks or does. Now, you know that when I say that. I, I didn't say something where you're like, wow, all this time I thought I could control the future. Huh. Wow, honey. You know, right? Like, like I didn't just give you something you're going to take to work and you're going like to have a meeting and go, hey, guys, just listen. I learned this. I can't control the future. I thought I could, right? We know this, and yet there is an illusion of control that we carry with us all week long. There's an illusion of control that we have with others. We think if we just say something the right way, they'll think this or they'll do this. Or if any of you, um, and some, some people aren't controlling outwardly, we call that passive aggressive. It would be the mom who says, boy, the trash is getting full. Okay, that that's a passive-aggressive way of trying to control you to take out the trash and you will throughout, you know Your childhood or whatever learn that when mom says boy the trash is getting full You go out and you take out the trash because that's a precursor to something else and you've learned that and that's just the way it is Okay, but we we have an illusion of control We think if I had enough money I could control my future because then I could hire someone to do this, I could control this, I can control that. And, and to some extent, this illusion is real because to some extent, depending on how unhealthy the people are around us or whatever, we can control people for a time. But just because we can or there's an illusion doesn't mean uh, we actually are able to control. So we're, we're all, I guess, what I'm trying to say is you and, and, and you're a control freak. I'm a control freak. Now, you might say, oh, no, I just, I'm not a control freak. My boss is a control freak. I just, and I'll bet if we were to sit down with you and explore your life for a little bit, uh, in one way or another, you try to control the environment around you. Here's the thing. That's human nature. Before sin even entered the planet, Adam and Eve were standing in front of a tree, where basically the serpent said, you want to be able to control more stuff? You want to know the knowledge of good and evil? You want to be like God? Oh, I do. That's human nature. We're creating God's likeness. Okay, we're creating God's image so we don't say control freak we use other words like i'm detail oriented okay uh, we try to make it sound you know like really you know um i just love too much uh, you know that's it's like no you put your kids on a leash it's not uh, it's controlling so he, i put this little comic book on here and for those of you who put your kids on a leash that's fine uh I'm not a control freak. I just happen to be highly driven, focused, motivated, extraordinary, inspiring leader. And yes, you may take time out to listen to my advice. And no, you may not do things your way. Okay, it's like, uh, it's like you know, that, that's it. I'm, I'm just highly driven or whatever, whatever the, the deal is. We don't say control freak. We have other terms. I'm organized or wh- whatever it is. But deep down in us, there's this, this drive that we want to be able to control. We want to be able to control others. We want to be able to control our future. We want to be in control. Here's another little thing I thought you'd like for um, control freak. (laughs) And and basically it just had dogs on it, so I like that. Um, I had one. Yeah, forget it. Okay, anyway. um, It's going to make a cat joke. Uh, If you want to write this down, you can. Um, This is a good thing. This is why we said you're fired. You are not, never have been, and never will be in control. This is why when we sat down, I said, turn to the person next to you and say, you're fired. (laughs) You are fired as controller of your life. Now, for those of you who are going to push back and you're going to say, hey, John, well, so what do I do? Just kind of like, just don't care. Like, do I let myself go? There's a difference between self-control and being controlling. There's a difference uh, between self-control and being able to determine how people think or act or, or how the future plays out. There's a difference between those two things. The way I like to put it is this. God has called us to stewardship, not kingship. And so there's a way to be, have self-control in my finances without thinking that I can be in control of my retirement or my future. If I just had enough money, then I would be able to be at peace and all these different things. There's a difference between managing your relationships in a healthy way and controlling people. There's a difference between influencing those around you because of your strengths and gifts and everything and controlling. And so God has called us to stewardship to, to take the things that he's given us and to the best of our ability, manage them. But we are not in control. We don't have control. I, uh, the way this plays out for me um, is that what worry, worry does is that it reveals the areas that you're desiring control. That's all worry does. Is it just reveals an area where you think I want this to go a certain way? And for, for a lot of parents, uh, and again for the kids, you know, who are here, maybe you understand your parents a little bit better with this or whatever. But they love their kids so much that there's this fear that if the kid acts a certain way or does a certain thing, they're going to end up at a certain place. And so for kids, you guys think your parents are insane. And some of them are. But the point is that as, as they kind of make decisions, all it's coming down to is this idea you think, man, they just want to control me totally. Because they're afraid that if you make decisions or you go the way you are, that you're going to end up in a place that they don't want you to be. But God has not called us to that. He's called us to stewardship, to do the best we can in raising our children. And so this reveals this thing. I was uh, on my way to small group on Friday night. Uh, I was thinking about all the things that make me anxious and uh, that I worry about, because I I do, I worry about different things. And, um, And one of the things that really makes me anxious, makes me nervous, and all this kind of stuff, is being late. I hate, I hate being late. I'm very often on time to lots of things, and, uh, and, 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 and so, um, but when I'm late, I, I, it just, it kills me, and so I decided to take Harbor Boulevard north, um, now, yeah, so the thing is, <clears throat> Harbor Boulevard, I thought because it was big, it was, it would be fast, but Harbor Boulevard, if you don't want to be late, is to be avoided at all costs. Um, and, unless you want to, you know, end up killing someone on the way to wherever you're going. But it was like, I hit every single light. I was like, uh, and, and with each light, I just was getting more and more anxious. I was thinking, okay, how can I, you know... How long can you drive on the sidewalk before it really (laughs) becomes a problem? You know, and so I'm looking at different. But I'm a very creative driver, and um, and you know, I was looking at all the suggested lanes, and I'm like, well, you know, I like to do my things my way, and 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 so because I was going to talk to the small group about being anxious and all this kind of stuff, I decided, okay, you know, what am I going to do? So I started analyzing myself. What is it? What's happening right now? Now we're going to we're going to see how Jesus has us do this all the time. Start analyzing what's happening right now. What are you anxious about? Well, I don't want to be late. You know, okay, fine. Well, what happens if you're late? Basically, I'll cut it short because uh, is a conversation I had with God. I won, by the way. Um, uh, <laughs> no, the, the, uh, the, 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 the thing was, I didn't want people to think I was disorganized. Now, How how can I control that? Like, So what I'm saying is, if I can be on time, no one will think I'm disorganized. I can control their thoughts about me by the way I manage my life. That is so dangerous, and it's a fallacy, and it's a lie. And it's a great little foothold. The Bible calls it a foothold for the enemy to just start whispering stuff in your ear. And then get you off track. So Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 6. It's the Sermon on the Mount that he's talking about. And he ends up at the end with this really practical way to talk about anxiety. And what we're going to do is we're just going to look at the questions he asks in this little section... Um, that are great questions to ask ourselves as we're about to make a decision based on anxiety or you you can insert uh, grief or fear or whatever or maybe even too much, even a positive thing like too much uh, um, like ecstasy. You know, you start making decisions based on whatever the emotion is. These questions are really, really important. It's in Matthew chapter 6 uh, verse um, 25 through 34 but we're just going to look at the questions. He's telling everybody not to worry, and 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 so uh, within there are four questions that he asks that gives sheds light on what we can ask. He says this. He says basically, don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear. Now, again, for you or I, we might go well done. This morning, well, maybe some of us worried about what we we're going to wear, but this isn't what Jesus was talking about. Jesus wasn't talking to a bunch of uh, people going, because you've just got so many clothes, you've got to pick the right one, or I wore that last week. That really wasn't their concern at that time. It was really, what are you going to eat and what are you going to wear? <laughs> that was really the, the thing. So it was basic needs, which for a lot of us, some of us, we, have, we are worried about those very basic needs, but for the most part, those needs are taken care of. So it just really helps us. What, he says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? He's getting to the root of what is it you want out of life? What, what are you striving for? In your, in your wanting to control, what is it you're trying to get at? Isn't life more important than that, whatever it is? Well, I want comfort, or I want, I, 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 want, I just want lack of strife, or I want security. And see, the, the way it happens is, we, would, we want security, not ambiguity, right? Um, we want um, uh, power, not vulnerability, okay? These are things, we want things we can count on, not stuff that we can't, count on. So it's security or vulnerability. Certainty instead of ambiguity. And and most important, we want independence, not dependence. We don't want to be dependent on anybody. And so Jesus says, what is it that you want? Isn't life more than food or the body? He says this. uh, He says, look at the birds of the air. Are you not much more valuable than they? This is a great question to ask in the midst of worry. Does your heavenly father know who you are? And know what's important? Does he care about you? Does does God know the situation you're in? Great question to ask. Does God know you're going to be late? Does God know the people you're going to be with? Does God know your job situation, your relationship situation? Aren't you more valuable than the birds of the air? Great question to ask. Another question is great. Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? <laughs> Here's the question Jesus is asking. What good is worrying? What good is it? As a matter of fact, now that you know, we're, we're all scientific and we're smarter than Jesus was, uh, we have actual studies that show that worrying does the exact opposite. It takes hours from your life. If you get more stress and heart things and all this kind of all this kind of stuff, stress-related illnesses and things like that because of worry. Jesus was way ahead of that. He says, what, like, what, what, what good is it to worry? It, it doesn't even, it's, here, here, just excuse my vernacular, but Jesus is basically saying worrying is kind of stupid the way Jesus would say it in a very spiritual way. And he says this, and why do you worry about clothes? Um, I don't know because I don't <laughs> want to run around naked. Like that's a good reason, Jesus. You know, but again, the question, okay, what, what is going on? What's happening on the inside? Last question he says. He talks about clothes. If, God, if this is how God clothes, clothes the grass of the field and he adds in there, which is here today and gone tomorrow, um, will he not much more clothe you? In other words, that thing you're going for, don't you think he knows what the best of that is? These are great questions to ask yourself in the midst of worry. These are great kind of um, grounding things that Jesus wants us to know. Listen, I want you to begin to analyze what is happening on the surface. Jesus is right there going, you're worried about food and clothing? You don't don't think God knows about that? You're worried about a boyfriend or having a girlfriend? You, You don't think God knows how important it is? You're worried about your finances, your house? You're worried about your kids? You don't think God cares about your kids? Great, great questions. And then he sums it up with this. At the very end, he says this. You're not called the kingship. You're called the stewardship And to seek his kingdom. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. And then he says these great words. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Again, you didn't have to come to church to know that. Right? You're like, that's probably for a lot of us why we're here in the first place. Because a day or whatever this week had enough trouble of its own. And you're like, I got to get back to church, man. I got to like figure this out. And Jesus just says it right there. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is what's so freeing about this. This is just what's so great. This is why we said you're fired. You don't have to manage. You don't have to control your environment. Jesus is saying there's going to be problems. You're going to have relationship problems. You're going to have financial problems. You're going to have problems in your family. You're going to have problems in your job. You're going to have problems at school. You're going to have uh, problems all around in your neighborhood. Each day has enough trouble of its own. There are things that are going on. Now, listen, that is so freeing to understand that it is impossible to have a trouble free life. It's impossible. You never have been, you are not now, and you never will be in control to be able to manage your life in such a way that it's trouble-free. And Jesus promises that. We say, but man, that's actually kind of depressing. Jesus turns it on his head and he says, seek his kingdom. Seek his kingdom. In all these different areas, food, clothing, relationships, money, all this, there is a, something happening in the kingdom of God. Now, we say, well, what do we do about that? Well, Several decades later, Paul was writing to the church in Philippians. He wrote this incredibly um, popular section of scripture because it's so practical. And it speaks such to the heart of this matter that a lot of people have memorized this scripture. They've, They've meditated on it. They've tried to apply it. And all I want to do this morning, and if I just left you with this scripture and didn't even just put it in your hands, you would probably come to all the conclusions I'm coming to now. But it's just great as, a, as a, a family, as a group of people together to go over it together. Plus, I get paid to do this. Um, so Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. How do we handle anxiety? Number one, rejoice in the Lord always. And then a, Paul understands you're going to go, right. <laughs> like, you don't know my situation. Like, I cannot rejoice in the Lord when my kids are making these decisions. I cannot rejoice in the Lord when my parents are just completely out of control or my family's falling apart or I cannot rejoice in the Lord with my finances like this or my job insecurity like this or the government like this or pick whatever thing you spend your time worrying about. How do you rejoice in the Lord? So Paul says, I'm going to say it again. I'm dead serious about this. Rejoice. He knows there's going to be pushback of like, because here's the thing. Don't we all kind of have this thing, if you knew my story, you wouldn't... If you knew what I was... I, I know, I know, I know, don't worry. But if, if I could tell you my story, if I could tell you what, what I, what, what's happened to me, I, you, you'll understand that's... And Paul's just like, no, I, I know, I'm going to say it again. Rejoice. This kind of goes back to this idea of the fear of the Lord being the beginning of Wisdom. This idea of rejoicing in the Lord, is understanding that he is who he says he is, that he is in control, that he is actually king. Even as our circumstances don't change, we can say, God, there's so many things I can rejoice in just by my breathing each day, just by being here, just by being allowed to be a part of your kingdom every single day. I can rejoice in that. I can look back over different times of my life when I was very, very anxious and I could look back and it didn't really turn out as badly as I thought it would and I can rejoice in that. I can rejoice that in the midst of trials your peace and your presence can be understood. I, I can rejoice. He says, do that always. Let, let that be your thing. Jesus said it the way he said it. Seek first his kingdom. Try to get in touch with whatever in the area you're worrying. Try to get in touch with a kingdom principle. That, that you can hang on to, a nugget, something from the scripture, something from the presence of God in your life where you can say, yeah, I'm going to hang on to that. That's, that's the first thing. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'm dead serious about it. I'm going to say it again. Rejoice. Then he says this. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Now, listen, let me ask you a question, rhetorical question. How easy is it to be gentle... And in control at the same time. Moms. <laughs> how easy is it to be gentle and control your kids all at the same time? As a matter of fact, for us parents, I'll just pick it on moms just for fun. Because I'm a dad and I don't pick on dads. Uh, for fun, think about your kids. You know, you think, what are the, a lot of times, oftentimes, what do they accuse us most of? It's when that time when we just, we feel like we've got to do something. We just got to control them. And they say, you're not the boss of me. In fact, we are. But it's just like, you know, know, you're, you're controlling. It's hard to be controlling and gentle. It's hard to be controlling with people around you, wanting them to do what you want them to do and think the way you want them to think and be gentle at the same time. It's hard to control your future and be gentle at the same time. I think what Paul is saying is let that go. Rejoice in the Lord. That he's in control. That he's in king. Rejoice in the fact that you don't have to control. And then let that gentleness be evident to all. And then he reminds us the Lord is near. He totally understands. He's right there with you. He's in that situation. Just because he's silent doesn't mean he's absent. He's there. So he goes on. Then he just gives this command. He says... Do not be anxious about anything. But, (laughs) you're like, oh good, there's a loophole. Uh, Do not be anxious about anything. This anything in the Greek is anything. Uh, You can over-spiritualize it, under-spiritualize it. Basically, what Paul is saying, if you're anxious, there's a problem. Yeah, but you don't understand. This, I just got the news that, yeah, there's a problem. Now, because here's the thing. This is just so we understand this. It's natural to be anxious. Okay, Paul knows this. He's not condemning, saying, what, you're anxious? Heathen, you know, it's like he he understands. He says, basically, starting from rejoicing in the Lord always, that your Heavenly Father is so big, God is so big, and so loving, and he understands you so well, you can rejoice in the midst of this. Don't be anxious about anything. And then he gives three... Um, Uh, prepositional phrases, if you will. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation. Now, this is super encouraging because what this is saying is right in the middle of it. Like, see, I guess let me put it this way. When I pray to God, I want him to change the situation. When you fill out your connection cards, and there's a prayer request in there, most of the time it's a prayer to change the situation in somebody's life. Somebody's got cancer, somebody's got... And that is completely appropriate, and we'll see that in just a couple sentences or a couple phrases, that that, that's appropriate. But what this is saying is in the midst of the situation, when it hasn't changed... And here's the question I have for you, and it's a difficult one, and you'll probably shake your head and go, you know, oh yeah. But really think about this. When you pray, do you want God to change the situation or to change you? See, if I were to answer that honestly, most of the time I want God to change the situation. So in other words, if it's a financial problem, I might say, God, uh, you know, give me a raise or let me get a Christmas bonus or whatever, you know, back... Uh, before I was a pastor, you know, I'd pray those things. You know, Lord, you know, it's Christmas time. I worked real hard. I think we made money this year. I, I would like to do these things. And I, I, want my, I want my financial circumstance to change. That is a lot easier to pray for than, God, make me a good steward of my finances, no matter how long it takes, and no matter how little money I, I make. God, make me the kind of person that doesn't care about things. That process. The process we've been talking about—transformation—is a lot longer and a lot more difficult than just changing my circumstance. Oftentimes, we'll change, we'll ask for a spouse to change or someone in the relationship change them, Lord, change them, change your heart, change your heart. And meanwhile, God might be saying, "You know, I, I, there's a work I want to do in you, and it's going to take a little longer than just changing them." This is where I think Paul's going in—in in the midst of the situation, in every situation. So we rejoice in the Lord always. Let our gentleness be evident to all. We're anxious for nothing, but in the midst of every situation, here's what we do. In every situation, by prayer and petition. And so this is just, this is a conversation with our Heavenly Father. God, this is what I need. This is what I'm worried about. This is what I, and allowing God to say, okay, why do you think you need a relationship? Because I'm scared of being alone. Why are you scared of being alone? In the situation, let's let's flesh this out, because God is much more concerned about you than your circumstances. He's much more concerned about the kind of person He wants to transform you to be, one who's free from worry. So He says, in every situation, by prayer and petition, I I wrote this down. Oh, oh no, no, it's coming up um, with thanksgiving. Like, how are you thankful if the circumstance hasn't changed? This is the thing Paul wants us to get to, that in the midst... So, so here's how it would work. I'm late for a small group. Let's use my example again. Um, and I'm, I'm anxious. And I'm like, I got to get there. Well, why do you have to get there, John? Why do you have to get there on time? Because I'm afraid that people are going to think I, either I'm disrespecting them or I, I don't... I care. You know what? I just care about what people think. Why do you care about what people think? Uh... I don't know. Why do you keep asking me all these questions? No. All right. All right. So, so I, I, through prayer and petition, I say, you know what, Lord? Listen, thank you that no matter what anyone thinks about me, you think well of me. Lord, thank you that no matter what happens, if they kick me out of the small group and they make me sit on the street, you love me. Lord, thank you that even if I am disorganized, You find value in my life. Now what happens to the worry? I'm still at Harbor and Ball, okay? (laughs) I'm not going anywhere, okay? Nothing's changed in every situation. In every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. And then this, I love this. Present your request to God. Let him know. God, I want to be rich. I want $10 million in the bank by tomorrow. I want my wife to whatever. I want my husband to whatever. I want my boss to whatever. Let them know. But be ready for the conversation. Be ready for the transformation. Be ready for things not to change. Be, be ready for God to, to, to begin to speak to you in ways you never really thought. May, be ready for God to say, you know, we're, I'm just telling you right now, the situation's not going to change, but, but here's what's going to happen. And here's the promise that we have. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Man, can you imagine going through life that no matter what happens, wherever life takes you, that each day has enough trouble of its own that your heart and your mind would be guarded in Christ Jesus? That Jesus would say, hey, you know what? We're not going to worry about that. Don't you know your Heavenly Father? Look at the birds of the air. They don't toil or reap and let your Heavenly Father feeds them. And Look at the grass, the lilies of the field. They, they're here today and gone tomorrow and let, yet Solomon in all his glory is not clothed like them. Come on. That, imagine your heart and your mind being guarded in what Christ is doing. It's fantastic and that's the promise. So he gives one more, one more thing that I'm going to leave you with. One more exercise that he says, because diff- he knows it's difficult to rejoice in the Lord. Jesus knew it was difficult to seek first the kingdom. It's hard to do. Each day has enough trouble of its own in every situation we're to do this. Watch what he says. He says, finally, whatever's true, uh, whatever's honorable, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely... If there's any excellence in anything, anything worthy of praise, that's what I want you focused on. So in other words, take the worry, you're going to have to push it aside, and you're going to have to leave room for that. True, honorable, right, pure, lovely, good repute, any excellence, anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. That Greek word is like, it's where we get our word logical. It's like, that's the root of it. It's like, it's like, as I said, worrying doesn't make any sense. It's stupid. This is more logical.